three truths that we see in this text here this morning um, concerning the wise men. Um, it's amazing how often that we kind of, it just it may be a little bit of a humor, humorous viewpoint before we get started into the message, but how we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. What was the actual date? And of course there was only three wise men. There couldn't have been any more than that, right? Or any less than that too, because that's what the song says. We three kings of Orion are. I mean, there's only a few of them, right? We have all these parameters in which we put Jesus in, and we know that because the song says it, that must be so, right? But there's people that were searching, and these wise men were searching. And even though Christmas is not here yet, folks, I want us to understand, we need to be people like the wise men who are searching for Jesus Christ. And it's sad that we kind of set aside one week or two weeks or three weeks out of the year to be reminded of what this season is all about. I think we get so caught up in our lives and what we're doing from day to day that we kind of have to gear up mentally and physically and emotionally for this season because it's so demanding, the parties and the, and the hustle. And but here's three truths I want to look at this morning, and I hope that we can heed them and really evaluate our own lives. Truth number one is this. The wise men sought the Christ child. So well, how do I know that? Verses 1 and verse 9 talks about this. It says, And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born? They are searching for him. And you come down to verse 9, and we see it very similar in that he says this. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star that led him. They were searching for the Christ child. And if we're not careful, we'll miss what it's all about. But there is adversity, and the people were being taxed there, and there was chaos. And we see also in verse 4, uh, it says, So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes, and assembled all uh, uh, and his people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. They wanted to know. There was, there was things going on, and, and they wanted to know what was taking place. And you see it again down in verse 12. Uh, he says, And being warned in a dream not to go back. There's chaos in the land. There's adversity taking place. And there's uncertainty. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse uh, 19, Joseph, uh, not wanting to have, make an example of Mary, is willing to put her away privately until after the baby is born. How will people respond to this? I'm sure people will respond just as they would today. Some will believe. Some will be skeptic. Some will be overjoyed. Some will be anticipatory towards what's going to happen. Probably very similar to what would take place in our day and age. But there's adversity, there's uncertainty, but despite it all, they saw it. And Scripture tells us three things concerning the Christ child's birth. First of all, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, if you would take your Bibles and turn there just for a moment, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, first thing the Scripture tells us concerning the Christ child's birth is that who is he? It tells us who he was. It says, for a child will be born for us. And that's amazing. The word for. Not to us. Not amidst us. Not among us. But for us. Think about that. The Christ child born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and so 
so much more. Who is he? He's a Savior who's about to be born for the world, for us, for you, for me. World, past, present, future. For us. That's who he was. And over just a few chapters to the right, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Look, look over in the book of Micah. Jonah, Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. It tells us where he would be born. Prophesied. Is there any doubt who Jesus is? It was prophesied where exactly he would be born. So in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 it says, actually down to verse 1 first of all, it says, Now daughter who is under attack, you slash out yourself in grief. Well, actually, yeah here it is. In grief, uh, you, uh, a siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Bethlehem Ephrata, this little town, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Here he is, just from a small Nowhereville, a small place. And yet from this small place comes Jesus Christ, who will be the ruler. And he will be the greatest among Israel. From antiquity, from eternity, from beginning, there is no beginning, there is no end. He always was, He always is, He always will be. That's where He is. I'm sorry, that's where He would be born. And then Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, first book of the New Testament, first chapter there, verse 21, it says this, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. What does Christ want? came to do? What did He come to do? To save the people from their sins. It's amazing. We know who He is. We know where He would be born. It was prophesied. And then it takes place. What He would be born and then what He would do. Save the people from their sins. It's amazing that those three questions can be answered today as well. Who is Christ today? We know who He was back then, and we know that we serve a God who never changes. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing's changed about who He is. But where is He today? Who is Christ today? Jesus Christ tells us in John 14, verse 6, is on our sign. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing's changed. Who He is? still remains who He is and who He will always be. And Acts chapter 4 verse 12 reminds us that there is no other name given among men whereby we what? Must be saved. So He is the way, the truth, and life and no one else can do what Jesus Christ did through His birth, through His life on this earth. Well, where is He today? Well, Mark chapter 16 verse 19 says that He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. You know, there, making... Then he tells us that through his spirit he's making intercession for us. And what does Christ want today? To seek and to save the lost. He says in Matthew 121 that he came to save the people. And in John chapter 3, verse 17, he came to seek and to save those who are lost. So the question is, do we have the heart of the are the wise men? Do we have a desire to seek him? To know where he's at? to know what He's all about, to know what He wants to do for you and me. And that's not just a Christmas theme. 
That's something that will go with us throughout the, the entire year, right? You know, that would be something that would be front and center to know who He is, to know where He's at, to know what He expects of us. And that's a message that the world needs to hear all year round. And people who are truly desire to worship Christ will seek to know Him. But we also see another truth. Not only do the wise men seek the Christ child, we see a second truth here. The wise men humbled themselves before the Christ child. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, we see a picture of them humbling themselves before. Verse 11 says this. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and what? Falling to their knees. They worshipped him. They fell to their knees. I think part of the problem in our culture is that we have no respect for a lot of people. We, have no lot, we don't have a lot of respect for authority. We don't have a lot of respect for people of position. And I understand that respect might be something that has to be earned, but when it comes to our Savior, do we humble ourselves before Him? The example of the wise men is that they knelt down before Him. Let me ask this question. When's the last time that you or I just got on our knees before God and said, God, I worship you. We're so afraid of expressing ourselves in worship, aren't we? We look at someone who raises their hands over there and they, they're exalting themselves before God and we say, oh, that's weird. Bad hand, bad hand. <laughs> the hand down. I'm uncomfortable with that. Because we're worried about what someone else might think. We're worried about what they might see if we raise our hands up before God. These, war, these wise men come before Him and they knelt before their Savior. See, what had been prophesied actually took place. It's no longer theory. It's no longer supposition. It's reality. Christ is born. And what can I do but to worship Him? And they knelt down before Him. I think there are times in our lives where we have to acknowledge who He is and what He's done. And we are nothing. And He is everything. And that's why John the Baptist, who was born similarly at another time, understood. He said, He must increase and I must what? Decrease. Because it's not about me. It's all about Him. Are we willing to humble ourselves before Him? Once again, understanding our culture. We don't humble ourselves before authority. We don't, we don't humble ourselves in respect towards those around us that may have a position. Why? Because it's all about number one in our culture. These wise men understood who this child was. He was, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah, born in front of us, coming to save the world from their sin. Question. Have you humbled yourself before Christ of late? Just come to that place where it says, Lord, I can't do this. It's all about you. And we outstretch ourselves before him. There's a third truth I think we see. The wise men presented their gifts to the Christ child. Verse 11. Then they opened their treasures presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
those were gifts that were unique. At least I think. Gold, frankincense, as myrrh and myrrh. The spices, the aroma, the sacrifice of gold, the costly treasure, so to speak. They were willing to give them give of what they had. They were willing to give of what maybe they didn't have. Who knows? But they assembled these treasures to give to the Messiah. The gifts were unique. But I think there's more to the gifts than just the gifts. I think the first gift is a gift of acknowledgement. What did they acknowledge? Verse 2. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The first gift was a gift of acknowledgement. They acknowledged him as king. You see, in the New Testament, there's another word that is very similar. Not so much in the Greek etymology, but what it means. And the word is Lord. It means master. See, a king is everything. The peasant is nothing. The person who acknowledges the person as king says, I submit myself to you, and I will do whatever you say. See, in the Old Testament, he was king. In the New Testament, coming into Matthew 1, Luke 2, he was king. Today he's our Lord. He's our master. Do we acknowledge him as such? Do we give him the gift of acknowledgement of who he is? When we say before him, my king, my Lord, my master, I submit myself to you. I'll do whatever you say. You see, the birth of Christ wasn't just a one-time event. Well, it was an event, but it's an event that lasts through eternity. It goes on and on and on. And as we come to know Him as our Savior, and He becomes our Lord and Master, and we continuously submit ourselves to Him as King, as Master, as Lord, are we doing that? That means every day saying, God, I submit myself to You today. God, I surrender myself, my will, my desires, my thoughts, my will to yours. And the first gift that they gave to him was a gift, a gift of acknowledgement of him as king. And then they gave him a second gift. Found in verse 11. Once again, entering the house, they saw the child of Mary's mother. And falling to the knees, they worshipped him. There was a gift of honor and humility in falling down. All right, we saw him. We can go now. No, they took time. I don't think it was a one-time event that they just sat there and said, Well, we're here. We saw. We're going to take off now. My mind's eye says this was a moment, a historical moment, that they had just sat there and worshipped. We've talked about that word honor before, how it means to attribute value to. They valued his birth. This was anticipated for a long period of time, and now it had happened. And they gave him the gift of honor and humility as they fell down before him. And then you notice number three is a gift of sacrificial gifts. They brought the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But here's what's interesting to me. 
before the gold, before the frankincense, before the myrrh, was the acknowledgement of who he was. Before the gifts that were physical was the gift of honor and humility and saying, I submit to you. I'm coming down on my knees and I'm falling down before you. And in doing so, they gave them the gifts. I think Christ still today, God our Father still today, wants our heart before He wants our gifts. Is that true? He wants our heart first. And over and over in Scripture, we can find examples of people where Jesus said, or where God said to them, your, your lips say one thing, but your heart is far from me. I don't want vain repetition. I don't want vain words. I don't want, I don't want actions without your heart. That's what He says. And I think oftentimes we need to check Ourselves. We need to look internally. Where's my heart? Not just going through the motions. Not just saying, hey, uh, I'm going to do this because I know I should. I'm not going to do this because I think I have to. I'm not going to do it because someone expects of me. I'm going to do it because this is where my heart is. I don't come to church because I have to. I don't come to church because someone expects me there. I'm coming to church because I want to see what God has for me. And I want to learn. I want to grow. I don't want to submit myself to God and His Spirit, what He may have for me. And I think the most important gift that we can give God before we give Him of our things or our wallet is to give Him our heart. That's what He wants. I think this is what we see in the wise men to some extent. They acknowledged who He was. Do we acknowledge who Jesus Christ is? Today. Not because it's Christmas. Not because it's the season. But because we're overwhelmed with a God who loved us so much that you would lay aside the splendor of heaven. Now just think about that much. Have you ever read read through Revelation 21, 22? Get a picture of what heaven is like just in our mind's eye? Think about that. Just Just a slight picture of what heaven is about. Can you imagine walking on streets of gold? Can you fathom gold that is so pure and so without blemish that it's almost transparent glass? Can you imagine the gates of pearl and the special, the special uh, um, rare and precious jewels that top them? Can you imagine a place that is there's no light there because the glory of the Lord is the light? And nothing can enter in there that defiles. There's no sickness, no sadness, no death, no sin. Can you imagine, for whatever reason, being able to lay aside the splendor of heaven to come down to earth? Who would do that? And then because He's God incarnate, because He's in the flesh, He took on the limitations of the flesh in that He was hungry, just like you and I. That He was tired at times like you and I. That He had emotional times like you and I. You see in the life of Lazarus, when He said He cried, He wept on the limitations of the flesh yet without sin so that he could be that sinless sacrifice and so he could be that gift to mankind as it talks about we talk about the gift during the gifts that we're going to receive during the Christmas season but think about it in Romans 6 verse 32 or 623 excuse me for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life he, gave, he came down to earth so that he might give us the most incredible gift that we can fathom eternal life 
He laid all that aside to come down to earth. Why? Because He loved us. Do we acknowledge that? Wise people acknowledge that. And He wants our heart before He wants our gifts. And yet they brought Him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was costly. Frankincense was expensive. Myrrh, all these things were not just... Oh, well, I think I'll just throw them a buck. Oh, well, I think I, I, I guess I could give them 30 minutes this week. These were costly, sacrificial things. And I think that's an example to us. That God wants us, doesn't want idol worship that costs man nothing. What is it that we're willing to sacrifice? What is it that we're willing to give because of what He's given to us? He doesn't need anything. Let's understand that for a minute. Let me give you the flip side of that coin. He doesn't need us to give anything. So how do I know that? Take your Bible just for a moment and turn over to the book of Acts. Chapter 17. Interesting story here. Is, I believe Paul was in this city. And in verse 23, actually verse 16, Paul's in Athens. And Paul was waiting for them in Athens. His spirit was troubled within him when he saw the city was full of idols. Can you kind of relate just a little bit? We live in a world full of idols and idolatry. It's called sports. It's called materialism. It's called fill in the blank. And his heart ached over this. And verse 17 says, So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and with those who worship God and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Then also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him and said, What is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? I mean, they didn't acknowledge... I mean, Paul, is a, he's a pseudo. He's a fake intellectualist. And others replied... He seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. But here's what's interesting. Verse 19, They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you're speaking of. For what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these ideas mean. It kind of sounds like our day a little bit. Okay, that's your opinion, that's your thought, so yeah, I'll listen to it, but yeah, okay, whatever. So, verse 21, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every, in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which it was scribed to an unknown God. Just in case we don't know the name of one, in case we've overlooked an area that, of life that maybe needs to have a, a God, to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. As I said... God doesn't need our gifts. He doesn't need it. Look at verse 24. 
The God who made the world and everything in it, He is Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is He served by human hands as though He needed, what? Anything. And since He Himself gives everyone life and breath and all things, from one man He made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they live. And he did this so that they might seek God. Perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Why is God there? He doesn't need anything. He's not saying, I have to have your money. I have to have your wealth. I have to have your anything. He says, I've got it all. I gave you what you've got. Point is, he does this. Why? So that man might acknowledge who he is. So, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you: the God who made this world and everything in it, He is Lord of heaven and earth. He's still Lord. He's still King. Nothing has changed. He wants your heart. This season, He wants your heart. He wants your everything to come from a heart of love and worship and service to Him. And the wise men gave the Christ child their heart, I believe, and their example of worship should serve as an example to us to seek Him, to humble ourselves before Him, and to present to Him our sacrificial gifts today as we worship Him. And you know, this is all about their worship. Do we acknowledge Jesus Christ, who He is in our worship? God, You are everything and I am nothing. I, I mean, just, let's, just, just for a minute, humor me. Just think for, just for a moment in your minds, what are the attributes of God? We could stand here all morning long and go around every one of us in this room and say, list one attribute of God. He's love. He's kind. He's merciful. He's grace. He's long-suffering. He's forbearing. He's forgiving. I mean, we could go around the entire room and just think about the attributes of God. If nothing more, what are His characteristics? Who is He? And then to think, He's my God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. Do we seek Him? Do we acknowledge who He is? He's the Savior of the world. And now, John 14 tells us that where is He? He's up in heaven preparing a place for us. And one day we'll be able to spend all eternity with him, if we, with him if we know Him as our Savior. And then, to humble ourselves before Him, not just at the moment of His birth, not just at a moment where we realize that we need Him, but daily saying, God, I surrender myself to You. And I give to You of my heart, first of all, and then the things that You've been blessed with there that you have blessed me with. Because Lord, I'm just a steward of it. It's all because of you anyway. And I humbly give them back. That's the example of the wise men. You want to be wise? Follow their example. Three truths that we all can learn from. The wise men sought the Christ child. The wise men humbled themselves before the Christ child. And the wise men presented their gifts beginning with their hearts to the Christ child as they knelt down before him.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much.